I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, on today's Ministry Watch extra episode, we're going to be doing something just a little bit different. For the past month or so, I've been collecting questions that I often get from readers, and I'm going to be answering a few of them today. I'm doing this because I'm guessing that if one person has these questions, others might as well. Maybe you've had these questions. And because I want to encourage yet more questions about Ministry Watch and how we do our work. And I thought that the best way to do that would be to simply throw this episode out there into the podcast feed and let you guys react to it and and maybe ask me some more questions as we go along. By the way, if you do want to send me a question, the best way to communicate with me is via email. My personal email address is wsmith at ministrywatch.com. Again, that's wsmith at ministrywatch.com. So send me your questions, and if we get enough, we'll do this again in a month or two. For now, though, let's get started uh, with some of the questions that I've been hearing over the last couple of months. Uh, The question that we get a lot is, where do your stories come from? And the answer to that is really multifaceted. We have uh, a lot of different sources for stories. Number one, I write some of the stories. Now, the reality is, is that I don't get to write nearly as much as I would like to, but usually once or twice a week, uh, I'll write a story for the website. Uh, Of course, I always do the weekly review column on Friday and um, usually some other story during the week. Um, So I write some of the stories. Our freelance writers write a lot of the stories, as I'm sure you know. Our freelancers include Steve Raby and Kim Roberts and Shannon uh, Cuthrell and um, Ann Stike. Uh, We have others, but those are kind of the core writers in in our freelance stable. We also subscribe to a couple of news services. Uh, Chief among them is Religion News Service. We get a lot of content from Religion News Service, probably, you know, four or five stories a week. Uh, from Religion News Service. We also have relationships with Religion Unplugged and the Nonprofit Times. They allow us to reprint stories uh, from their sites as well. Uh, We don't reprint stories in full from World Magazine, but we will usually print maybe the first three or four hundred words and then link to World Magazine if there is a story there that uh, we think is sort of in the center of the bullseye uh, for what we're covering here uh, at Ministry Watch. So that's where we get sort of the finished stories from. We get our story ideas from all kinds of places, including from people like you. Uh, A lot of the stories that we do start out as someone sending me an email or a phone call or a text message and saying, hey, Warren, have you looked into this ministry or that ministry? Uh, If you've got a ministry that you think we should look into for either good reasons or bad, you think it's, uh, you know, kind of an unsung hero, what we call a shining light here at Ministry Watch, but they're not getting the kind of uh, recognition that they deserve, shoot me an email and we'll take a look. And it may be a a ministry that ends up uh, in one of our shining light profiles. On the other hand, I would say most of our tips come from people that want us to expose a ministry or, or at a minimum are concerned about a ministry that may be doing 
uh, something wrong. So send us your story tips and story ideas. We'd be delighted to have them. Again, my email address is wsmith at ministrywatch.com. The next question that we get a lot, especially since we are in the business of looking at other people's financial statements, is where can we find your financial statements and what is the budget of Ministry Watch? The short answer to that second question is pretty easy. Our budget, our annual budget is around $400,000 a year. And um, in other words, if we were just a ministry that wasn't, you know, that wasn't Ministry Watch, we're not big enough to actually appear in the Ministry Watch 1000 database. However, you can find our profile on the Ministry Watch 1000 database, even though, like I said, we're not big enough to rate to be on that list. We just wanted to be very transparent and show uh, our readers uh you know, what our financial statements look like. So you can go there. You can look at the last five years of financial statements for Ministry Watch, just like you can for any other ministry in the Ministry 1000 database. And by the way, to find the Ministry Watch 1000 database, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the bright red um, Ministry Watch 1000 database button up at the top of the page. I should also mention that if you go to ministrywatch.com and hit the above, about button, you will come to a long series of uh, documents about us. We've got our statement of faith there, and we've got our most recent reviewed financial statements. So uh, go to ministrywatch.com, hit the about button, and you can find our financial statements right there. Uh, the next question I've already sort of alluded to, which is, you know, is Ministry Watch a Christian ministry? Do you have a statement of faith? And the answer to both of those questions is yes. Uh, we are, uh, every member of our board of directors is a committed Christian. Uh, members of our staff are, are Christians as well. We are a Christian ministry. We have a statement of faith. And again, you can find that statement of faith, which by the way, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to be proud of a statement of faith, but, um, it seems like that there's sort of an oxymoron in being proud of a statement of faith. But in any case, I'm pleased with our statement of faith. How about that? Um, the statement of faith is very carefully written. I didn't write it. It, it precedes me, predates me. Um, uh, a theologian at Reformed Theological Seminary named John Currid was um, instrumental in helping us come up with our statement of faith. It's very robust, and I think um, uh, you will find it interesting and challenging. Just go again to ministrywatch.com, hit the About button at the top of the page and scroll down, and you can find our statement of faith. We had a question from Scott that I think is really interesting, and I want to deal with that question. And he asked this, if a pastor or a ministry leader is charged with wrongdoing, hasn't been convicted, but just charged with wrongdoing, do you write articles about him or her? And how do you decide whether to write them or not? Uh, the short answer to your question is, yes, we do occasionally write articles about pastors and ministry leaders who have been charged but not convicted. And um, how do we make those decisions? Well, I, it's a, a little bit of a judgment call, but there are a couple of principles and standards that we use. Uh, you know, number one, uh, 
um, you know, is is it part of the public record? Uh, in other words, can we find legal documents to quote from that, uh, in fact, this is, when I say charged, I mean legally charged, not just, you know, someone in a local church is charging uh, his or her pastor with wrongdoing. We would likely not write about that. But if there have been legal charges filed, then yes, we might uh, write about that person. It would also depend on the profile of the person. If it's a uh, you know, a small town local pastor, and it's probably a local story. Maybe not, but if it's a national ministry or or a church that has a national following, they might have donors come from coming from around the country, around the world. We think that yeah, that would that's a story that we should probably do at Ministry Watch. Scott also asked. Um, what happens if those charges are ultimately dismissed or they're found not guilty, the person is found not guilty? Would you report that as well? And again, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, If that person is ultimately exonerated or found not guilty of those charges, we would report that as well. And we've done that on numerous uh, occasions here at Ministry Watch. I can think of a story recently, though, that we covered pretty extensively, the Josh Duggar story. And he was... uh, charged with uh, child pornography and ultimately convicted of child pornography charges. And uh, so we reported that story right along the way, even though he had not been convicted, he had been merely start charged, but both because those charges were were. Um, you know, made by legitimate legal authorities. There was a, a lot of coverage of that trial, a lot of documentation, a lot of court documents that we could uh, look to and quote. Uh, and because, you know, frankly, he was a high profile person. He had been um, on the, the staff of, uh, of the Family Research Council and other national ministries. So, yeah, we thought that that was a story that we should write about. I should also add that that, that Scott, your question motivated me to kind of go into our database and um, during um, about a two-month period that um, uh, I, I examined, we published about 150 stories during that two-month period. Nine of them involved accusations of criminal wrongdoing and or sexual abuse. Two of them were Josh Duggar's stories, his trial and conviction on charges. Of the other seven, five stories were about conviction or sentencing. Only two were about accusations, and in those cases, the preponderance of evidence in those cases was pretty overwhelming. They were both they were high profile cases that had been widely reported by news outlets. So, uh, as you can see, we um, don't often, or, uh, it, even though it might seem like we do it a lot. The reality is is that uh, we don't often write about sexual abuse cases, especially if they are only accusations. They've got to be, um, you know, more than accusations of an individual. They've got to be actual charges, and it must be of a high-profile person as well. So I hope that that sort of explains a little bit about how we make those uh, kinds of decisions. Now, um, we've had a, a number of questions over the last few years about the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Uh, Ministry Watch is not a member of the ECFA, and yet we report on other ministries that um, also uh, maybe have uh, lost their membership in the ECFA or are not members. We mentioned that in our database. We use the ECFA membership 
as one of the criteria for our uh, transparency grade in the Ministry Watch 1000 database. So the question is, why aren't you members of the ECFA? The answer is that we applied for membership in the early days of our ministry, uh, somewhere around the year 2000. And uh, we were turned down for membership in the ECFA. The ECFA uh, said that um, the mission of our organization was one that was uh, not consistent with membership, uh, so they turned us down. Let me just say that while we don't think that the ECFA um, is uh, alone— adequate to hold ministries accountable. That's one of the reasons that Ministry Watch exists. We like the ECFA. We are advocates of the ECFA. We think that what they do is important work, uh, We uh, and we want to be members of the ECFA. So we our goal is to reapply for membership, in fact, this year, and um, hopefully in the near future we'll be able to say that we are ECFA members, and we can change our own transparency grade from a C to an A. We grade ourselves down uh, to a C because we are not members of the ECFA, which is something that we would do with any other ministry as well. I have uh, a couple of questions about the emails that we send out. Um, a lot of people call every, or email every day. In fact, I, I usually get emails almost every day because we send about 130,000 emails out uh, every every day, uh, thanking me for the emails. I've got a lot of testimonies, and I'm really grateful for those. But <laughs> when you send an email to 130,000 people, you are sometimes going to get uh, some uh, feedback that's that's not always um, pleasant to hear. One of the pieces of email that uh, or pieces of feedback that I get um, from time to time is that you know, is there any way to get less emails? Uh, can I get fewer emails? And the short answer to that question is maybe. Uh, we send an email out every single day, usually around 1130 or 12 o'clock uh, Eastern time. And I say every day, I mean Monday through Friday. We do not send emails out on Saturday or Sunday. However, our system is programmed to resend an email three days later, to everyone who did not open the original email. So, for example, if I send an email out on Monday and you don't open that email, you will get that same email again on Thursday. And that will be in addition to our normal Thursday email. So you could, in fact, get two emails on Thursday. And even though uh, we don't send any emails out on Saturday or Sunday, our Thursday email is triggered to resend on Saturday, and our Wednesday email is triggered to resend on Saturday, just because we don't like to send emails on Sunday. So we've move that a little bit. I, I know this is a little bit complicated, but here's the bottom line here. If you open the email, you won't get the resend. You won't get the reminder email. So you can automatically cut down the number of emails you get to one per day simply by opening the emails that we send. And you won't get any emails on either Saturday or Sunday. So we hope you like our emails. By the way, we have a really high open rate for 130,000 people. Normally, uh, the open rate for a list that size is somewhere around 10 or 15%, but we regularly have 25 to 30% open rate. So we know we've got an active and engaged audience, and we really appreciate that. Uh, but we also know that maybe some of you would like to get slightly fewer emails, and the best way to do that is just to simply open the emails when they arrive and um, 
you won't get the resend. So, you know, I think that pretty much covers the questions that I wanted to go over today. I really appreciate you indulging me, this kind of interruption into our normal podcast flow with uh, some of these uh, questions and our answers to them. I hope you found them helpful. And if you've got questions that you'd like me to address in a future podcast, again, send me an email, wsmith at ministrywatch.com. The producers for today's podcast episode are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.